All right, again, let's take our Bibles this morning on this Lord's Day and turn to 1 Peter. Chapter 2, we're looking this morning, verse number 18 to verse 25, if I get that far this morning, but I want to. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we approach your word, We want to humble ourselves under it. We want to be submissive to the things that you teach us so we can be people who understand the truth, who can evaluate ourselves with the truth, who are able to think through the truth and also speak the truth. So enable us to do that, Lord, so the way we live our lives would be evangelistic. It would draw attention because we want to bring glory to your name. Make us different, Lord, so we can have opportunities to speak in your behalf. And I pray this, Lord, even in the most difficult situations of life. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So in some ways, once we become believers and have learned anew how to understand and deal with ourselves and then how to live with others in this world that has been twisted and complicated by sin, we have been called already to be citizens of another kingdom. Our our mandate then, as aliens and strangers on the earth, is to live according to a higher standard. And so, as we look at our scripture this morning, we're going to, again, continue to unpack the section that deals with the subject of submission. We are to learn how to properly submit to others. That's kind of a bad word today. People don't want to submit to anything. We want to be independent. We we want to be rebellious. We don't want to submit to any kind of authority because we're the authority. But remember, last week I gave you a definition of the word submission, and it implies putting oneself under the, uh, the authority of another, or to take a subordinate place, and to do that willingly. So the principle of submission now applied within the context of interaction of believers with non-believers in the areas of really varied social relationships Behavior, the behavior Christians are to have is to be maintained. We are to have first have inward loyalty to a certain behavior that pleases the Lord, and then, of course, that would lead to an outward submission to the structures that we are going to come in contact with as human beings. The first application of a Christian's responsible behavior is how they ought to relate to governing authorities. We saw that last week. 
The second application we're going to see this morning of a Christian's responsible behavior and how they ought to relate to their masters or for modern-day language, a worker to their bosses, a worker to their employer. And if you notice in verse number 18, it says this, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now, before we unpack this portion of Scripture, I would like to mention that if there is not a growing presence of submission in our hearts as believers, then that absence of submission will actually be filled with something else. It will be filled with strife. It will be filled with disunity. When we think of submission, remember, it is function that is important. When you wear winter gloves, well, you don't wear winter gloves in the summer, do you? At least you shouldn't. Uh, But we all have a pair of winter gloves, and winter gloves are very functional. That when it gets cold out, uh, even for people who don't like wearing gloves, it can get cold enough where they dig out the gloves and they put them on if they're going to be outside. So gloves are very functional for a particular thing, to keep your hands warm. Likewise, the function of our willing submission to God, God's structure of things that he has put in place is to keep the unity so the work of God will not be hindered. We are to submit to a particular course of conduct so that we as followers of Christ can demonstrate an alien lifestyle with the goal to proclaim the gospel in order to win others to Christ so that they will become citizens of the kingdom of God also, that on the day of judgment they may give glory to God for God's children adorning the gospel with the holy lifestyle and verbal uh, communication of the gospel will cause them to give glory to God for this person who lived before them the gospel and told them the gospel. So unity is enhanced through submission. Now before I look again, that verse of scripture in James chapter 4 verse 7, it says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But just to give you a, some basic points on this, that the first thing when we consider it is that submission is to God through his word. Like it says in Exodus, I will, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord and to what is right in his sight. So this submission was taught in the Old Testament to listen to the word of God. to put yourself under the word of God and to listen to it so you can do what is right and then please God. And then submission to God's will. So submission to God through his will. And of course, we saw that already in verse number 15 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter where it says, for such is the will of God, 
that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So it is the will of God for us to submit. Even uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 143, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And then, of course, submission is to God through his authority. Now we're going to find in Peter that we are going to run into people that are over us, like governmental authorities that I looked at last week. Today we're going to look at bosses and employers, us as far as a boss or an employer, and how we're to respond to them. And then, of course, husbands and wives is going to come up. And then in Hebrews 13, elders and pastors are to be submitted to. And then, of course, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 18, and then chapter 5, 5, servants or young men are to submit to elders. Like it says in verse number 18, servants, be submissive to your masters in all respects. And then chapter 5, you young men, verse 5, likewise be subject to your elders. So I heard one person say that you're never more like the devil than when you refuse to submit to the authority God has placed over you. No submission to God, God's authority, structure. If a person decides not to submit at all, that's anarchy. But before we look at this passage again, I want to look back at some historical background. Some because we we need to grasp what our text says so that we could apply it today. There was a problem in the church when Peter was writing to the scattered aliens and sojourners in the land. And the problem was that some of the slaves became Christians. And some of the masters or the bosses became Christians. In the apostles, Peter, in his day, in the most advanced civilization in the world, slavery was accepted and approved. It is the most crooked and twisted institution of man. Yet because of sin... And that mankind is basically selfish and self-centered, these institutions exist. In fact, in Peter's day, slavery was universal. And many Christians, many Christians, were literally slaves. However, ancient slavery was not like modern slavery. It's not like the slavery that we hear about and that was experienced in England and in our country, in the birth of our country, right? So that means slavery in the new world was different than in the ancient world in which Peter writes. For example, if you took a look at our text right here in verse number 18, you find that the first word there is servants in the New American Standard Bible. And that's for good reason. The other Greek word for slave is douloi, which he doesn't use here. He uses actually the Greek term oiketai, which means house slave. That means in the Roman culture, slaves were considered valuable. 
because they were skilled and educated and often were called household servants. And most household servants were not free, so they lacked certain rights and privileges of citizenship, but they had other freedoms. I quote a person who was an authority on uh, writing about and, and investigating this time of slavery, and he said this, and I quote, For first century slaves, education was greatly encouraged. Some slaves were better educated than their owners and enhanced a slave's value. Many slaves carried out sensitive and highly responsible social functions. Slaves could own property and even own other slaves. Their religious and cultural traditions were the same as those of the freeborn. No laws prohibited public assembly of slaves, and perhaps above all, the majority of urban and domestic slaves could legitimately anticipate being emancipated by age 30. So completely different than what happened here in the United States and in England and in different parts of the world, and of course are happening in parts of the world even today. So even... Though we, though we don't have slavery like that, uh, like they had in the Roman Empire or today, we can take what Peter says and apply it to employers and employees. Employment in free market capitalism and socialism is difficult to compare to first century household servants. However, there are principles here that are universal and can be used in any situation where someone has authority over you. Now, the last time that we were in the scriptures, there were basic, a basic structure that is always true all the time, and it was this. Let me remind you of it. It was the very fact that we are to have respect for all people in verse number 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2, all right? That is the outside group, but that outside group is on the same level as, as all of us. Then there's the inside group, and it considers we're to, we're to, of course, love the brotherhood. That's the inside group. We're to be loyal to them. And then also on the inside group, one who's above us is God himself. We are to fear God, so Christians are insiders with God because of Christ's work on the cross. However, God is above us. And then the last group is on the outside group again, and that is a person who is above us too, and that would be the king, the president, the government, you know, the prime minister, whatever uh, governmental structure you would be under. So that is the outside group. And so in this case, we are to honor and respect The king, or those who are in authority over us. Honor and respect to the king, but only God should receive our fear. And of course, from scripture, kings should fear the sovereign Lord because it will show that they have a sense of responsibility to a a higher authority than themselves, and that would be the God who created the heaven and the earth. So, in saying all that, I think we now could look at our passage and see the principle, the first principle, uh, 
for us today is that of the principle that Christians are to submit as servants in verse number 18. And the reason why I'm using it like this is you see an, an employer has, in some sense, a legal right to direct, to command, and to control the activities of other persons. Now, the principle would be found in this first verse, and of course it's going to be your employer, first of all, is due respect. In verse number 18 it says, Submit, servants, be submissive to your masters, and then with all respect. So, all this means is whatever lot given to you providentially by the Lord, servants or masters, you and I are to regulate our conduct by Christian standards and are to act in accord with Christian principles. Now, some of those principles already went before us in the chapter ahead of chapter 2. And all because believers are in different family. They have a different father. They have a new father. They live before the, eye, the Lord's eyes. Every moment of every day, children of God are in the king's service here on earth, no matter what they're doing. Now, again, while you keep your hand there in 1 Peter, turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 8, because this is not uh, a theme just in 1 Peter. I was reading an, an article uh, about what was your favorite Bible book. And uh, a person took a survey of it, and no one said First Peter. <laughs> Maybe because of all the stuff in it. Submission, uh, what, what do I need to learn that for? Right? And some of the things First Peter says. But I was surprised by that. They liked Second Peter, but not First Peter. And, uh, of course, Revelation was on top of the list, and, and some of the Proverbs were there, but not First Peter. And uh, so... Nonetheless, it says here in our text in Ephesians chapter 6, notice, it says, Slaves, be obedient. This is verse 5, Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your hearts as to Christ. not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So now, in that Ephesians passage, that's in the context of being controlled by the Holy Spirit, saying this, it's impossible to do this without the Spirit of God. All right, and then there's another passage, which you don't need to turn there, I'll just put it on the screen, and it's this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 25, it says, slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom 
you serve. Colossians is in the context of being controlled by the Word of God. So those who are controlled by the Spirit and those who are controlled by the Word of God will be able to take these exhortations and actually put them into practice. So Scripture then is concerned about the behavior, the conduct, and the reaction of Christian people who are in any position of subservience to others. Christians who are employed in any service are to live by this principle. And this is not an easy principle. This is hard principle. But this is what even makes it harder. Look back at 1 Peter in verse number 18. It says this, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but notice, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now, that's hard to swallow. It is expected for those who belong to Christ to submit in respectful service to masters who are crooked who are unfair, and the word here, unreasonable, and even nasty. It's easy to submit to those who are fair and good-hearted. Sometimes when people go to the doctors, they get examined, and he will tell them, you have scoliosis. That's a crooked back, a crooked spine. Well, that's the word, the Greek word here. It's the word scoliosis. So it means crooked. That is the Greek word for employers that are unreasonable. They want you to lie for them. They want you to cook the books. They even abuse people because they have authority. They're responsible too. Don't get me wrong. And scripture in Ephesians uh, It mentions the masters and their responsibility. But here it's not talking about masters. It's talking about servants. It's talking about employees, someone who has authority over you. And you know once a person has authority over others who are free, there can be many, many kinds of abuses. The abuses and abominations escalate to an nth degree when a person is not a free person but is under the control of another person, whether literally or theoretically. So what is amazing in this passage of Scripture is that Christ's followers are not told to organize some kind of social revolt. They're not told to take up weapons and arm themselves. They are not even told to retaliate in any way at all or even to be disloyal, or take the laws and their own rights in the law into their own hands. They're not even told here to bring slavery to a median end. No, that is not the way a Christian undermines the institution of slavery. But can't you see how difficult it would be to avoid one of these or others like them It seems the flesh 
would want to come up with some way to revolt when someone is abusive, when someone is crooked, when someone is unreasonable, and, and there is no way to reason with them. See, the Christian is an earthly slave, but at the same time, he is Christ's free man. And he views, and all Christians should view slavery in a different way. What way is that? A platform for evangelism, and that's the point. That we are to live, we are to display Christ-like behavior right in the conditions we are in, even if we cannot get out of those conditions. Even with unreasonable employers, And why are we to do that? For evangelism. To to display before them a behavior and a message that they may not get from someone else because you may be the only believer there to give it. On the other hand, the only way for the institution such as slavery to slavery to be undermined is by advocating and implementing the biblical principles of Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only emancipates from the slavery of sin and Satan's slavish grip, but as believers who live under the lordship of Christ, controlled by the Holy Spirit and led by the word of God, the evils and abuses of slavery must disappear. When you have master and slave both being Christian, there cannot be slavery. It must finally disappear. Yet, we must remember the primary business of the church is to expound the scripture, to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to bring people, in other words, the knowledge of God and to evangelize them. The primary business of the church is not to deal with the conditions of the world. If the church spent all its time on the conditions of the world, the primary task would never, ever get done. The main emphasis here is how the Christian is to function within their existing conditions and with the way in which Christ's or or the Christian conducts and behaves himself. So the only reason for submitting to unreasonable and harsh masters or employers is because it pleases the Lord. That is the motive for the Christian to submit as servants to always please the Lord with the desire to get God's approval. So motive answers the question, why should I submit like that, right? Because we always have the question, why? Why, why? why do I need to do that? Well, your employer is due respect, but also your employer is to be respected without their regard to their disposition. That's what the scriptures say. To us, So, that would lead us to the motive. The motive for the Christian is to submit as servants. In verse number 19, 
And we see that taking abuse should also be coupled by keeping God in mind. All right, notice what it says in verse number 19. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. So, in other words, they want to be obedient because they want to honor the Lord through obedience, not just to gain human approval. And why do they do that is because it's for the sake of conscience, right? The Christian has an enlightened conscience, a conscience that is mindful of God and judges their actions in connection with what pleases God. In other words, a Christian walks out of the house every single day and they know God sees all and knows all. And believe me, that is the best place to live. You're living in the presence of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And that's what you want. See, your conscience bears witness with the truth of the word of God that God is involved very intimately with the activities of your life. He knows your circumstance. He knows your situation. He knows where you work. He knows what kind of boss you have. have. He knows how you're treated, and he knows in your heart how you respond. He knows that. And see, that is what we are to do. We are to, for the sake of conscience towards God, always be mindful and conscious that God is watching, that God is, knows exactly what's going on, maybe more so than you do, and of course he does, all right? But you may not know what he knows and what he's going to do with you in a particular circumstance. So to bear under pain is commendable, especially if you are conscious of God and you keep the Lord and what pleases him always in mind. See, God sees all and will reward his children. Now, a very similar passage of Scripture would be Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, 11, and 12. And if you turn there, you should turn there. Look at this passage while you're keeping your hand there in First Peter. What it says, because the Lord is giving instruction uh, to his disciples, and he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now, I want you to notice the persecution comes because of righteousness. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, verse 11. It says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me, because you're connected to Christ. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, you would say, how can I rejoice and be glad if people are slandering my name all over the place, insulting me and persecuting me? Well, think of this. Not only does it please the Lord, but you're standing in a long line behind the prophets, right? 
The prophets went through this. They understand it well. They understand what persecution is, and they understand what persecution is when it came to proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or the gospel, and then the truth of God on how the nation was supposed to live and how they were persecuted for that. Because they were connected to God and his word, they were persecuted. So you take abuse, keeping God in mind to have favor, all right? And then also you are taking abuse to have or to lose God's favor. In verse number 20, back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? So it is not easy to take wrongful abuse. Mistreated servants would be tempted to become slanderous or use their tongues to deceive in some way or to fight back. However, it's saying in this passage, if if a beating is deserved for sinful behavior, there's no glory in bearing it. There's no credit for enduring the pain because it's deserved, in other words. See, that's not what we ought to be doing. God is not pleased when people act in some rebellious or sinful manner. Acting toward their employer with insubordination, they are acting outside of God's will, also losing the opportunity to display holy conduct in order to adorn the gospel. In other words, if they act like that, they're losing the opportunity to speak and evangelize and give the gospel to those who need it, right? And someone who is abusive is someone who needs the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel, but that person needs the gospel, right? They need to uh, definitely receive it. And the the point is that you may be the one to give it. So if you're acting out, when you speak the gospel, it's going to the boss is going to look at you and say, you're doing, doing the same thing I'm doing. Why should I listen to you if you act like that, right? Or if you don't give an a honest day's work and uh, a, a respectful day's work to your boss, what, why, if you act out, why should he... Uh, and you get actually B for it. it it's to your no credit. There's no credit there. You, you, you've lost opportunity. And not only that, you displease God and are outside of God's will. Yes, I must admit, as I look at this passage of Scripture, I would say these, these things are, are not easy to actually practice in our life. We definitely need divine help when it comes to these principles. But they are in Scripture. They are right there, right before our eyes. So there's also suffering when you don't deserve it. What happened to my other one? Right? There's suffering when you don't deserve it. Verse number 20 of 1 Peter chapter 2. But if when, middle of the verse, you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So there it is right there. If you are beat for doing good and endure it, it is to your credit then 
You have pleased your real master, the Lord Jesus Christ. You did God's will. Ephesians chapter 6 it communicates a similar principle where it says, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So you and I are really servants of Christ. And we must know that the most mundane obligations of life, when performed faithfully, Christ is being served honorably. That the servant employee should serve their earthly masters, employers, faithfully because such service actually is performing the will of God. God knows what you're doing. And even though working for someone, they may never, or they may not often at least, give you approval or disapproval, the Lord lets us know in the word of God that he sees and he will reward and approve of what you are doing. So the Lord knows, he sees the kind of service one offers up, but the one offering up good service should also know that the Lord recognizes and rewards, like it says in Ephesians 6, 7, with goodwill or enthusiasm, render service as to the Lord, not to men. And then it says, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So one earthly master or employer might not always credit, give credit where credit is due. However, bitterness should never be the attitude, and we serve a good master in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And brethren, the Lord above is mindful of all his servants' labors. At the judgment seat of Christ, God will evaluate Christian conduct and labor and by his grace reward his servants. There is always that reward that the Lord promises those who live in a way that honors him, that gives many opportunities for the open door of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, that brings me to a third point this morning, and that's this, the purpose and pattern for the Christian to submit as saints. And it's found in verse number 21, for it says there, and it has to do with this, our calling, for you have been called for this purpose. Verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2, you have been called for this purpose. Brethren, God calls or summons us to suffering. Did you ever ponder that? It's kind of like the cost of the Christian life, right? This is the cost. I didn't know I signed up for this. I didn't know it. That you were called to suffer because you are a Christian. Philippians chapter 1, turn there. Philippians chapter 1, if you go forward, you will come to Philippians, right, right before Colossians. 
Look at this passage of Scripture. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experience the same conflict which was saw in me and now here to be in me. So that passage of Scripture is pretty clear that when you were saved, you were also called to suffer. So the subject, the subject will be dealt with more in First Peter as we go along, but this morning, let me just point out some reasons for suffering, mostly from First Peter. Why would we suffer as believers. And some people say, well, Pastor, you don't know my mother-in-law. Or you don't know my rebellious child. Or you don't know, you know, the list can go on. No. Those are probably not the reasons why you and I will suffer as being believers. But there are some reasons. And look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. What it says It says, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So why do you suffer? You suffer for doing what is right. Why is that? Well, because we live in a world that, number one, they're not necessarily uh, desiring to do everything that is right especially when it comes to what is right before God. What pleases God is not in the the realm of thinking of the world. So I am going to receive and you are going to receive persecution just for doing what is the right thing to do. No, you need to lie for me because if you don't do this, if if you say what you're going to say, it's not going to look good for us. No, I have to do the right thing. Well, you're not going to be promoted next time. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a pink slip this week. You're, you're done with our company. You don't, want to, you don't want to play ball with us? Then you're done. Stuff like that's going to happen, and I'm sure it happens all the time. But that's going to be a reason why we suffer persecution is because we are willing before God, for conscience sake, to do what is right. Because God sees, right? Because He is giving the approval and disapproval. All right, secondly, in 1 Peter 4.19, it says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So in other words, suffering according to God's will. We suffer because it is God's will. It's going to happen living in this sinful world we are going to end up suffering. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to verse number 16, it also tells us this, that we are going to, let me read it, it says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Then look at verse number 14. It says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed but is to glorify God in this name. So you suffer because, number for your testing and because you're a Christian, because you are connected to Christ, and because there is an enemy behind the system of the world that hates Christ. And of course, that enemy is Satan. And because you are now a believer the world and its system is truly against you. And then, of course, I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. It says, indeed, did I say 17? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Maybe that's better. Verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will suffer persecution. All right, so that means in our list here, suffering for living a godly life. Now, just think of that for a minute. If you are a Christian who is living a godly life in an ungodly world, you will suffer. If you are a Christian who is living a godly life in an ungodly world, you will suffer. Evangelism involves living a godly life in the face of an ungodly world. Now, you may be asking, or somebody may be observing, why aren't you suffering? Why is it that you're not suffering? Well, it could be that you're hiding in the forest, and nobody sees your life. Nobody even knows you exist, let alone being a Christian. You need to come out of the forest. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. Get back into the world. And I don't mean for worldly thinking or any of that, worldly amusement. I mean get back in the world so you can be the light and the salt God called you to be so you can have these opportunities that God's giving us and actually formulating for us to test us and to grow us and to mature us. We need to get back into the Christian life. Also, Maybe you're not being persecuted because you're not living a godly life. You're not living a holy life. You're just going along with the stream of things. 
Your behavior is just like everybody else's behavior. There's no difference in what you say or what you do or how you look than anybody else. So why should anybody persecute you if you're not different? Remember, holiness is being different. It's being someone God wants you to be. And if you are different, then you will suffer some insults. Remember, the persecution in 1 Peter was verbal most of the time. They were verbally insulting them for who they were, for their lifestyle, for them being connected to Christ. They were being persecuted for that. So maybe you're not being persecuted because you're not living a holy and a godly life. But maybe you're not being persecuted because you're not a believer at all. Maybe that's the reason why. And of course, you know that if you become a believer and you are maybe the first generation believer and you trust Christ and you go back into your family and then you start telling your whole family about Jesus, what happens? They gladly receive you with joy and gladness, right? No. They start saying you're in a cult. You're brainwashed. And the list goes on and on and on. And some even have said to their children, you are out of my will. I mean, my written will. Because you have gone against the religion of myself and my father and his father. See, persecution is going to come just by being a Christian. What do you do with that persecution when it actually does come? We have to have these principles in our mind to respond the right way. That's the point of these passages before us because if we are going to live this way, then we are going to ultimately exemplify our greatest example. And our greatest example of suffering is who? Jesus Christ, right? That's our greatest example of suffering. In fact, if you take your Bibles and look at verse number 21, which I'll not go into this morning, but I will pick up next time, is that Christ is our example. In fact, Christ is our outline. He is our copy. The very word in verse number 21 where it says, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. That's what we're to do. That Christ leaves us, in other words, a drawing that is to be placed on another sheet underneath and to be traced. We are to follow in the direction Christ is going. We are to follow in the direction that he is going and patiently endure wrong treatment. Why? He is the example. No one suffered to the extent that our Lord suffered as a human being. No one did. So he's our example. Next week, I am going to look at that example. But this morning, I do want you to think of those things. Are you in any way or have you been at all persecuted or have suffered because you've been a Christian from anybody, from anywhere, family, employers, people, neighbors? 
Have they insulted you? Have they ridiculed you? Have they in some way exposed you as a believer because you are actually living the Christian life and honoring God in how you live and how you speak and how you act? Because, brethren, that's where we want to go. And why do we do that? Because it pleases God. That's why. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, Lord, I, I pray this morning, Lord, as we, we think of these, these difficult passages of Scripture, Lord, help us to, to wrap our mind around it. Help us to understand how you view things that is so different than what we're used to or how we used to think. Lord, transform our mind in this area. And Lord, and give us the strength of your spirit and the understanding from your word to be able to, to, be able to, to live in the world. And Lord, even if we do get ridiculed for our faith, we already know that it's going to happen. And we already know from Scripture how to actually respond. It would be the natural thing for us to do is to, is to fight, to claim our rights, even to, to go to blows if we have to. But, Lord, that is not your way. That is not the way that brings opportunity to adorn the gospel. That is not the way that we can get people's attention so we can share the message of Jesus Christ, so they can have their souls rescued from hell. Oh, Lord, help us to submit to these principles and think through them until they become part of us, part of our actions, part of our words, part of our thinking. So, Lord, when that time comes, and, Lord, we know it will I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be able to put these practices, these principles into practice, and we would be able to stand firm in the truth, trusting you, Lord, with the results. I pray, Lord, enable us to do that for the sake of the glory and the honor of your name, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. Make us people like this, different, holy, and godly. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you.